0: Welcome to the Wealth Setting Podcast. This is episode 266. Today is July 16th, 2018. I'm your host, John Pugliano. I'm also the founder and money manager at InvestableWealth.com. There's a lot of information I want to pack into today's episode, and I've entitled this show, Trump October Surprise. And that's because today we're going to talk about political influence and how it can affect the economy and the stock market. Specifically, we're going to be talking about what's going on today, what's going to happen over the next four months, what's been happening over the previous four months. But really, even if you're listening to this show five years from now, it'll still be relevant. Because we're looking at this not so much from a current event standpoint, but really from a historical standpoint. And the history being based on the premise that human nature doesn't change. So we're going to talk about that today. Before we do, one quick announcement. I do want to mention that coming up on this 4th of July, the Well-Setting Podcast will be celebrating its 4th birthday. And in recognition of that, and as we go forward, I want to get some feedback from, from you in the audience. You know, I generally don't ask for a lot of audience feedback, and it's not because I don't care what you think. It's just that I get so much of it unsolicited. And so that's why I really don't encourage a lot of listener feedback. But hey, we got the anniversary coming up. I'd like to hear from you as to what maybe was your favorite episode you know do you have a particular episode that you really enjoyed and you would like to hear more of or if you can't nail it down to just one specific episode what topics do we talk about that you'd like to hear more of or what kind of things would you like to have explained in a more detailed way Uh, for that matter you know over these four years and 266 episodes what have I not covered that you'd like to hear or what have I done that you don't like now A little bit of a caveat to all this. You know, after four years of doing this show, it's evolved to a certain uh, natural degree that it's probably not going to change a great deal of because it's me. This is just who I am. But in any case, hey, this is your opportunity. Let me know what you liked, what you'd like to hear more of, and how we can make the fifth year of the Wellsteading Podcast even better than the previous four have been. Now, hey, let's get down to business. Trump October Surprise. That's what I want to talk to you about. We are just about four months away from the midterm elections and generally when you have a first-term president this is when they lose the most seats in either in Congress or in the Senate this is when the opposition party is strongest against the sitting president particularly when that president tends to be controversial or adversarial Now, earlier in the year, the Democrats were really feeling their oats, and they felt that they were going to have a major impact and probably gain a lot of seats, particularly in the House of Representatives, enough to take it over, and maybe even they could take over the Senate. Well, now we're four months out, and some of those aspirations have been cut back quite a bit. And I got a feeling that the wily old coyote that we have in the White House is crazy like a fox. He's not only anticipating whatever type of bombshells and October surprises that the Democrats and the opposition party can come up with against him, but he's also planning his own. And before I talk about the next four months and what I think is likely to happen with the Trump October surprise, I want to focus on where we've been the last four months. Over the last four months, you've been bombarded with people just killing themselves to get in front of a microphone or a camera to tell you how bad the economy was and how this was the next major crisis and it was going to be worse than 2008 and the market was going to go down more than 50% and you know things like gold were going to go to $5,000 an ounce and Western civilization was going to end the way we knew it, blah, blah, blah. The perpetrators of fear and scarcity and I guess what we can call gloomologists, they were out in force. And the reason they were doing that was because, you know, the market had pulled back a little bit. We had about a 10, maybe 11% pullback from the highs. We know we're in one of the longest running economic expansions and stock market bull markets in history. And so that obviously means at some point it's going to come to an end. We, I believe, are and have been in a Goldilocks economy for quite some time now. Things are not too hot. They're not too cold. And that's why when we saw a big pullback starting in the market around... February, oh, I think it started February 2nd, uh, S&P 500 hit its 200-day moving average, maybe around uh, February 9th. And then a couple more times over the ensuing months, we saw these pullbacks. I was buying the dips. You can go back and read my blog posts, my alerts over investablewealth.com, and you can see when I was buying into the markets. I did that because at that time, even though the U.S. market was pulling back, fundamentally, I still saw very good signs and the concerns that people were worried about, I felt were unfounded. Primarily the concern being that we were gonna get runaway inflation, runaway wage growth, and an extreme increase in the interest rates. Now, if we did have runaway inflation and if we did have uh, huge growth in in wages and if interest rates did get up to five or six or 7%, yeah, I would be worried too. But when I looked at the data, it didn't appear to me that any of that was going to happen. The other thing that kept me optimistic early on, and this is, you know, February, March, even into April, was that foreign markets and even emerging markets, and emerging markets tend to be more volatile than the U.S. market, they were holding up. They were holding around their 50-day moving average when the U.S. market was down, bouncing off of its 200-day moving average. So these were part of the reasons I was very optimistic. Well, all that started to shift a little bit, particularly as we got into May, and the foreign markets and the emerging markets started to do worse. And that's really where we are right now. The emerging markets and foreign markets, in many cases, are down around their 200-day moving average. And people are freaking out over that. Oh, trade war, right? We've been hearing trade war for five months, six months. Well, this is no different to me than the war we supposedly were going to be in with North Korea. Look at where we are halfway through the year. Although things started to fall apart in February, and they were really sketchy all the way through May, and all the doomologists were predicting an apocalypse, what's the state of the overall stock market? Well, the NASDAQ and the Russell 2000 are essentially at all-time record highs. Even though we had a little bit of a pullback these past four months, markets came down around 10%, what I was calling a healthy correction, has turned out to be just that, despite all the gloom and doom talk from the pundits. The technology stocks, the small-cap U.S. stocks, at record highs. The S&P 500, which is going to give us a broader look at the overall economy in the United States, is not at a record high, but it's only about 3 a little more than 3% off its record high. Where we are seeing problems are in the foreign stock markets, and in particular, in emerging markets. Now, I'm heavily weighted into those markets, and it's not just because I'm a contrarian, but again, it's when I look at the numbers. When I ignore the rhetoric, when I ignore the emotional arguments, and when I just dig down into the numbers, I see a global economy that continues to grow, and although it's not growing at the rate that it did 10 years ago, it's certainly growing better than the rate it grew at 5 years ago. And despite all the political drama and instability, the key drivers of the global economy, which can really be summed up around commodity prices and manufactured goods, well, that future is still bright. Whether you look at copper or iron ore or the price of oil, all these commodities are showing pricing power to the extent where the producers can make money and yet not so high that the consumers of those products cannot afford to pay for them. It's a win-win Goldilocks economy. Now that could change, that could shift, but it hasn't yet. And until it does, I'm going to stay in this market and I'm going to stick with foreign and emerging markets just like I'm sticking with my US positions. Think of it this way, for the naysayers that have at least come on board and said, well, okay, well, the US economy is gonna be okay, but all but, oh, those emerging markets, they're gonna fall apart. Well, that doesn't make any sense. If the United States economy is still growing, and if consumers are still buying, then that means that a vast majority of the products that they're buying, not necessarily the services, but the products that the American consumers are buying, are going to be coming into this country from China, from Germany, from Japan. And to the extent that Germany and Japan and China are manufacturing products that are being sold in the United States, that means that commodity producers, countries and companies that extract oil or mine iron ore or coal or aluminum, copper, whatever the commodity is, Those producers and exporters of commodities are going to have increasing sales and growth because they're going to be selling it to the manufacturers in Japan and China and Germany. And the manufacturers in Japan, China and Germany are going to be selling it to the American consumers, which are continuing to have an expanding economy and they're continuing to consume and purchase. Even if the real wages aren't going up, it's not stopping the American consumer from from borrowing more money and putting it on their credit cards and buying more stuff. Now, it's not stuff they need. It's not necessarily a sustainable economy. But I'm not in the stock market for the rest of my life. I'm a trader. I move in and out of the market as I see it moving up and down through trends. And when I see increases in unemployment, defaults on credit card debts, And when I see the consumer no longer spending on large ticket discretionary products, then I'll know that the storm clouds are here and that the stock market's going to have a major correction or even a bear market. Maybe the country will be headed into recession and I'll be doing my best to get out of the market. But I don't see that happening right now. And I'll just give you one other indicator. Do you realize that recreational vehicles, RVs, you know, the big campers and trailers, sales for those products have never been better? In 2018, more RVs will be sold in the U.S. than ever before, and I think this is the third or the fourth year, maybe even the fifth year in a row, that RV manufacturing and sales keep breaking records. Why is that? It's because the American consumer has disposable discretionary income, and they have it in such large amounts because they're using leverage, they're using debt to enhance what they have, and they're going out and they're purchasing Mercedes camper vans for you know $130,000 and as long as that's happening that means that the American economy will continue to grow and consequently the U.S. stock market and eventually the global markets will continue to grow so that's why I remain long and upbeat and positive on the U.S. and the global markets for the time being that can all shift maybe eight months away it may be 18 months away But I think we're safe at least through 2018, and in particular, although things are going to be choppy, I think the stock market is going to do just fine at least up until the November midterm elections. And this gets back into the politics side of it. And Wiley Coyote, President Trump, who's crazy like a fox, I believe, is building his October surprise to be a strong stock market and a strong economy. This is whether you love him or you hate him; it doesn't matter. Look at reality. What does he want to do? Well, just like any politician, he wants power. He only gets power if he gets reelected. One sure way that he has a chance to get reelected, and even beyond reelection, one thing he wants to make sure of is that he doesn't get impeached or forced to resign before you know 2020 when he comes back up for reelection. Well, how's he going to ensure that? He's going to ensure that by keeping as many Republicans in the Senate and in the House as he can. Because although he's not on the election ballot coming up in the midterm elections, his party is. And if the Democrats take over the Senate and the House, Trump's going to have a much harder time of getting reelected in 2020. Even if they did, I'm not saying that he couldn't get reelected because in a lot of ways, he may use that opposition to energize his base. But it would certainly, I believe, be easier for him to enact the policies that he wants to to keep him in office beyond 2020 by not losing control of the House and the Senate in November of 2018. So how's he gonna do that? He's gonna come out and say, ignore all these bad fake news things people say about me. Are you better off today than you were two years ago? Are there more people employed? Is your real estate worth more money? Is your stock portfolio worth more money? Did you get a raise at work? Have your taxes gone down? Well, for the most part, again, whether you like or hate Donald Trump, the answer to all those things are yes. Now, are these government statistics about unemployment, or are, they, are these numbers real? Or are the numbers fudged? Well, of course I believe they're fudged. But they were fudged under the last guy, too. So you can't blame Trump for that. I'm just making the case for why these midterm November elections are not necessarily going to be as much of a bloodbath for the Republican Party as maybe you've been led to believe. And the bigger point in all this is, irregardless of the outcome of the election, the important factor is What is Trump and his administration going to do to shore up the stock market? Because that's where my concerns are. I want stock prices to continue to rise. The tax cuts, the deregulation, the deficit spending, the cheap money, that's going to just naturally energize the economy. That's not sustainable, won't last forever. But it should keep things chugging through November. And here's the really important part. What's been the biggest deficit to the stock market since January? Well, for the most part, it's been Trump and his tweets. It's pretty indisputable that over the last five or six months, the biggest detriment to the stock market has been Trump's own words and his tweets. And this is where I bring things back to the fact that he's crazy like a fox. I think he does things to enhance his position and, in particular, the way he can negotiate things. We've talked about this in past episodes. He talked down the market earlier this year, not directly but indirectly by threatening trade wars, by causing all types of international contention. I mean, think about Donald Trump two years ago. Candidate Donald Trump was telling you that the stock market was in a big, ugly bubble, right? That was his exact quote, big, ugly bubble. The minute he gets elected and the stock market even inflates to a larger bubble, what does he do? He stops talking about the big, ugly bubble and telling you how great he is and what a huge effect he's having on the economy. It wasn't really until the beginning of this year that he started all the direct contentions about trade wars and tariffs and you know things that he had talked about during his campaign, but things that he had done nothing about. Now, he's not a dumb man. He knew that was going to impact the stock market, right? How could he not know that? Well, my jaded little cynical mind says that just like any politician, he calculated it He let the opposition party, he let the Democrats start seeing a downturn in the stock market. And just like sharks, when they see a little bit of blood in the water, they went into a feeding frenzy and they started shooting everything they had with double barrels. And in spite of that, in spite of all the bad revelations about Trump and the Trump administration and his past and his relationship with women and his marriage, and you can go on and on, all those things. And then even with the stock market pulling down 10%, with all that, Donald Trump's approval ratings are not in the toilet. They're not any worse, and in some cases, they're better than a lot of past presidents. Now, I'm not saying that the opposition party has brought out everything they can against Trump. I'm sure they'll have an October surprise for themselves. But I suspect that Trump's ace in the hole is to make sure that the stock market is at all-time record highs on Election Day in November. He may not be successful at that, but I think that's his intent. And so all the bad-mouthing, all the tweets, all the tariff wars, all the negativity that he's done over these previous months, which has had a drag on the overall performance of the stock market, and particularly on emerging markets and international markets, I think you're going to see that start to subside. And as we get into October, it'll be exactly the opposite. He'll have trade deals. He'll have a NAFTA deal. He'll have some kind of agreement with... Britain and with the Germans. And I know I'm talking a little bit of a panacea here. I don't know if he's going to get all that, but that's his intent, right? Talk it down now, talk tough now, kick up all kinds of dust and commotion, but he'll have that start to fade so that when he goes into October, he can tell you how great the world is and how you're better off now than you were two years ago. That's his October surprise. And what that means to me as a swing trader is that I don't want to sell my positions yet. I said earlier in the year, back in January, I thought the S&P 500 would get to 3,000 and the 10-year Treasury would get to 3%. Well, the 10-year Treasury is pretty much at 3%, hovering right around that range. And the S&P 500 is only about 8% away from that 3,000 mark. I think it's real. I think it's attainable. And I think President Wiley Coyote Trump is going to do everything he can do to make that happen over the next four months. And so that's not the only reason, but it's one of the reasons I remain optimistic and I remain in this stock market, not only holding U.S. equities, but being broadly diversified into foreign stocks and especially emerging markets.